Greetings! You're listening to the audio version of Up the Waterfall. To see us and everything we talk about, be sure to check out the video version by visiting youtube.com slash Xanaland. Thanks for listening! Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose we'd get them out of there? By going up the waterfall? That's right! Anything's possible in Disneyland. <laughs> Welcome, friends, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Up the Waterfall with your hosts, Zana and Scott Otis. Howdy. Here we take a nostalgic journey up the waterfall of Disney parks, movies, books, and more with a present-day point of view. We invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy your visit up the waterfall. And this week, for episode 34, we have a live studio audience with us. We're practicing for our live show <laughs> and all the hecklers that will come with it. Um, but yes, these are our children who are hanging out. This is a family production here. Indeed. Always. Anyway, episode 34, we're going to jump right in to what I'm calling, and others have called, the <laughs> second golden age of Disney animation. I think that's a fair assessment. Or the Renaissance period, ah, yes. as it is more commonly known, I believe. And the inspiration for this episode, uh, if you've been following along, I don't know, probably not everyone follows me on Facebook, but I think (laughs) that's where I mostly posted about this. But we were up in the mountains of Tennessee, Ah. which is why we are pushing back our live show. But we kept all of our episodes, you know, on schedule. So that's right. Uh, But while we were up there, I got an invitation to be on a Zoom call for uh, the press junket if you will for the new howard documentary that don Hahn is coming out with oh my gosh i'm looking so forward to that yes so as sort of a segue into that coming out because i'm going to have an article and review on xanaland.com about it hopefully fingers crossed let's hope that we can get don Hahn to uh appear on this episode <gasps> oh with us. That not would be this awesome. episode but this show this podcast that would be fantastic with us that would be fun He's a great guy. Indeed. (laughs) He he really is. Um, So anyway, I I wanted to rewatch Waking Sleeping Beauty before I saw Howard. Um, I have a screening uh, version of the movie to see, which I'm going to see very soon before it comes out on August 7th. So this is coming out on the 5th. Uh, Howard comes out on the 7th. So we're just lining everything up. We definitely would advise you to rewatch or watch if you haven't ever seen Waking Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, before. and as we'll uh, probably touch upon, there's some fantastic Howard Ashman footage in yes, this movie as well. Exactly. So one of the things Don said on this interview call was that um, it's not necessarily a sequel per se to Waking Sleeping Beauty, but it's kind of like an enhancement. It really mm. just like explores that aspect of that time frame um, with Howard Ashman. But getting back to the original topic at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a sort of dark time in Disney animation before this renaissance, as, you know, is what happens. The the dark ages before the renaissance. And that was right around the time that the Black Cauldron had been worked on for very long and finally came out. 
And it was not a big hit. It was, a, yeah, the opposite of that. <laughs> it was a stinker, actually. Um, uh, it it pushed the envelope as far as uh, techno- technology uh, was concerned for animated yeah. films. But, yeah, the story just really didn't translate very well. Um, it's been a long it time since so I've seen it. But, I mean, it was also, what, rated PG? I believe so, yes. Which was, you know, virtually yeah, unheard I mean, of for a Disney animated feature. It was just so incredibly dark. There, I mean, Very there were dark. And they had, that was the edited version. Like, it was even worse before oh, yeah. they, they cut some stuff out. I mean, yeah, the Horn King and a bunch of, you know, creepy, ghouly skeletons yes. going after our heroes. But, you know, yeah. the mm-hmm. clips I've seen of it in recent times, it is very pretty to look at. It's like, it is great technological advancements in animation. It was just the wrong time, I believe, it was, for it yeah, to come out. It was out just not really a, a big, a fun reworking. family romp <laughs> of Disney animation. So. And in fact, they mention in Waking Sleeping Beauty that it was actually beat in the box office by the Care Bears movie. Whoops. It's a sad statement. Um, so... <laughs> It was also a strange time in, this is why I love Waking Sleeping Beauty, because I love movies that are documentaries that are just a behind the scenes kind of look. And this is a lot of, um, not found footage, but, you know, someone, one of the animators recorded it just as like a fun home video. Yeah, it was a Randy Cartwright. It was, a lot of this was kind of revolved around just some home uh, movies. He had just gotten himself a new camera and he really was just wanting to test it out. Uh, he brought it to the studios, and he actually illegally filmed, um, you know, because it was kind of against company policy to film while, you know, while all that behind-the-scenes footage is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was often approached by security to uh, turn that thing off. And what's funny is literally the very first scene that he shot. I was just going to mention uh, that. <laughs> The, the head of the studio, I mean, or actually the, of the company, Ron Miller, uh, Walt Disney's uh, son-in-law, comes out and says, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, and, and he was he was great yeah. on film. He, oh, didn't, yeah. he didn't say like, hey, shut this off. So he actually did a total of three um, of these in the years 1980, 1983, and then the, the third one was literally 10 years to the day after the first one in 1990. Um, and so... And where he was basically just giving a tour of the animation studios at the time. Um, and so there's just like a who's who uh, of, of animators, if you will, at, you know, that were on film there, including actually it was John Lasseter. He was the, uh, the, camera the cameraman operator. Yes. Um, you know, they, they saw Tim Burton. Yeah, that was uh, funny. Yeah, very to young see. Tim Burton. <laughs> who looked very Tim Burton like. Oh, yeah. He was kind of, I couldn't tell if he was just really <laughs> upset or if he was just. <laughs> Kind of hamming it up for the the people. And then, of course, you know, Glenn Keane and... Ron Clements, John Musker. Oh, yeah. So it was an interesting time in that all of these new names and faces, kind of unknown names, I guess, at the time, uh, were just starting out and wanted to prove themselves and create, you know, amazing new animation. They were straight out of CalArts. But at the same time, there were some of the original nine old men still hanging oh, out yeah. there in Eric their little Larson, cardigans uh ollie johnston frank thomas and yeah were all, were, and you know they were basically there uh, kind of mentoring uh, all of these young animators and all these young animators were just so eager to work with them because you know these are the nine old men who worked with walt himself on creating the classics you know all the way from snow white and the seven dwarfs and fantasia cinderella peter pan and all that so 
Yeah, they were just wanting to learn. So that was one aspect of the movie, which I love, was just, you know, the behind the scenes, fly on the wall, what it was like, sort of, not everything, of course, but to be in that animation studio at Mm -hmm. that time. But then as the movie progresses, of course, we then see that there's a lot of other things going on in the Walt Disney Company at that time. And there was kind of a shakeup. Roy E. Disney stepped down from the board. Yeah, yeah there's um, there were a couple of actually takeover attempts by um, some corporate raiders who were just kind of wanting, since Disney had been so down at the time, their, their um, stock prices were so depressed that a couple of corporate raiders, including Saul Steinberg and Erwin Jacobs, were basically tried to buy the company up. And, the, and they literally, if they had succeeded, would have sold the company for parts. And, you know, maybe the the theme parks would have maybe gone to Six Flags and, uh, you know, maybe would have uh, ended the animation studios. Who, who knows? Can you and imagine? That would yeah, have just I been know. crazy. And, and so essentially on the first one, uh, Disney essentially paid Saul Steinberg greenmail, mm-hmm. which is basically just extra money just for him to, to go away. To buy his shares, yeah. Um, which essentially saved the company, and that was 1984, and that's when Roy E. Disney basically brought in Michael Eisner and Frank Wells from Paramount and Warner Brothers Studios, uh, respectively, to run the company. Yeah, and that was, and so this the whole movie is literally what happened in that ten year span from 1984 when when they were brought in to uh, to 1994, right with the success of uh, the Lion King. Yes, and it's a very interesting tale. Um, oh yeah, you know I'd certainly known before this the Jeffrey Katzenberg exit from the company, very as famous, yes. you know, so many people knew that was going on. Uh, right before Pocahontas came out, I mm-hmm. believe. Yep. And But it was interesting to see when he came into the picture and how he really tried, it seemed, <laughs> after he kind of got <laughs> his footing, um, to make things work and to make yeah. it a success of the animation Yeah, he team. was a great marketing man. He, you know, basically, he was just, a, you know, kn- he knew all the people within the Hollywood and all of them, uh, basically to get the word out to and he was just a great promoter of these uh, films as they uh, came out and, yeah um, didn't start I, out on the best foot right with but his 6 I mean, a.m meetings oh, and yeah, yeah. 8 a.m sunday morning meetings yeah his his schedule didn't quite uh, mesh well with the animators <laughs> and all them but but what was interesting is you know roy as i had mentioned roy brought in michael eisner and frank wells and, you know, and kind of the one caveat was that he, since he knew the company and he knew animation and that was, you know, the the lifeblood of this whole company, um, he just wanted to run it. Right. He wanted to essentially salvage it from kind of the downstate, which really hadn't had a hit since, um, I believe, the Jungle Book, right, you know, right after Walt's passing. Um, so he kind of wanted to, you know, save it. And so... He, so Michael Eisner gave it to him, but then Michael Eisner brought in Jeffrey Katzenberg, and he, you know, he didn't want Jeff Katzenberg to step on his toes. So he basically told him, "Animation is yours." Yeah. So there was kind of a clash just f- right there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, is it Roy or is it Jeffrey Katzenberg? Who, yeah. who Kind of who's in the uh, the head spot at at animation? And so. based on 
you know, what the movie is telling us. It's kind of surprising that they lasted as oh, long yeah. as they did working together. But I guess right. the work that came out spoke for itself. Right. And then uh, shortly after that, um, Roy Disney brought in Peter Schneider, uh, kind yes. of as uh, an assistant to him to be the president of the animation studio. So there are all these uh, egos, if you will, kind of there. Um, I wouldn't say Peter Schneider was, was a big ego. He was willing to... He was uh, just a different uh, way of doing things. Right. It seemed very unique, and I think he challenged them to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty was produced by Peter Schneider. Yeah, that's right. Don Hahn and, and, Don and Don. Peter Schneider, right. It's It's funny to see that despite Peter being one of the producers on it, there's, you know, a scene of all of the caricatures that people were making of him oh, when yeah. he first came on board. I think he and was the most caricatured uh, kind of head of the studio. Yeah. And he has a very interesting face. <laughs> and so because I, I think initially he kind of clashed with the animators. They didn't like him to begin with. So they, you know, they took it out on him by caricaturing him. Yeah. And they showed all of those. Uh, but so then they, they quickly uh, gelled. Another reason why I love these kind of movies, because especially in the Disney world, and this is one of the things I brought up to Don on our call, was that if something is distributed basically by Disney, you kind of worry, oh, is this going to be a sugar-coated, not the real story? But I, I feel like Waking Sleeping Beauty and, you know, Howard seems to definitely be as much of the real story oh, as... Yeah can be told. Yeah, this was not whitewashed <laughs> in any way. It's kind of like a warts and all kind of a deal. And what was amazing is that they were able to bring back Michael Eisner, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and yes. Roy E. Disney. Uh, actually, he was uh, Roy was still with the company at the time that the movie was made. But they brought back all of these uh, personalities, and they all spoke very frankly about what happened. Um, even times when they, like especially like Jeffrey Katzenberg, when he didn't necessarily look to be the best mm -hmm. you know he were kind of represented him in a negative light he was very happy and and willing to share all of those memories that uh, that took place and yeah. so that that was awesome uh and additionally what i was going to say was um you know peter schneider and don Hahn, who essentially produced this film they were there right they you know so they had first-hand knowledge of all of these things because they were there yeah and so it was, it's a very authentic film and it really is such a great way to see the other because as you know Disney fans growing up Little Mermaid came out in what 89, 89 right. uh, it was a long time ago now and you know <laughs> yeah. I certainly wasn't as educated on Disney history as I am now I'm sure you were back then but I love bit. the fact that this <laughs> exists so we can oh, see yeah kind of how the lightning was captured in the bottle, basically. Yeah, because th they basically kind of go through this 10-year span from 1984 to 94, and there were 10 movies that actually came out in that span. And it was pretty much one every year. I think uh, there were two in 1988 and none in 1986 at the time. But it, so it, it kind of shows you what all happened from the time that Black Cauldron came out, so The Great Mouse Detective, mm. uh, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and yes. Oliver and Company. And then leading into the um, the huge hit, The Little Mermaid. Right. And actually, I would say Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when that came out, that was also a gigantic hit. That It was the most expensive oh, yeah. movie ever made at the time, but it it was, it was went did bonkers business. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, oh, maybe we've got something here. <laughs> uh, and then when Little Mermaid came out, they were like, wow, 
okay, we're uh, kind of running all, all on mm-hmm. all cylinders. You know, they did have the rescuers down under, which didn't quite hit. <laughs> Still haven't seen that since it, our uh, it's, episode. It's about spectacular. That. I'll watch it. But then Beauty and the Beast came out, and that you know that set all kinds of box office records, right. and so they're just on top of the world. Aladdin came out, and it beat that. And then, you know, The Lion King, mm-hmm. which did absolute bonkers, crazy, nutty, <laughs> 300 plus million dollar business, which, you know, for 1994 was phenomenal. I'm right. Just and what's fun to see or crazy to see is this was when uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg made his statement that there was going to be a new animated feature every year. Yeah. Um, there was some kind of whether Roy said that or Jeffrey said that, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it was said either was. way. And so it's kind of crazy to think. And there was, you know, discussion of how the animators were working such late hours and they oh, were getting yeah. tendinitis and carpal tunnel syndrome and all of this stuff just to make these things happen. Yeah. I mean, it was such an interesting dynamic because, you know, first off, it started with this ragtag bunch of animators straight out of CalArts, you know, uh, working with the old timers, like I mentioned. And then, you know, they start getting a hit <coughs> after hit. And, but they were starting to work all of these unreasonable hours, like you were saying, like 90-hour weeks, where, you know, it was really affecting, like, their families, uh, ba- not seeing their kids or, or their spouses. Um, but then they got raises. They got raises. <laughs> they got agents yeah. because of, you know, just the success. And so it was kind of like a nonstop runaway locomotive. Mm-hmm. They kind of equated it to that. Um, they didn't want to get off of the train. You know, they they still wanted to keep going because it was such um, a phenomenal business. Um, but then it kind of went off the rails uh, towards l- literally right around uh, when The Lion King uh, came out, which you would think uh, was the hugest hit. And it, as I said, it was. But that's kind of when a lot of things went haywire. And I was going to say, uh, one of the interesting ways that Don Hahn, um presented this film is he literally started the movie with the lion king Mm. um they showed that elton john footage of him kind of singing the song and then he actually um filmed a lot of the um the executives kind of you know thanking the animators and all of that and he started the film with this with you know showing michael eisner jeffrey katzenberg and roy e disney um kind of thanking the animators for their work and so you're thinking, okay, wow, this is amazing. This is, you know, a, you know, a huge success. And then as it shows, and then it goes back to the 1984, and it progresses all the way to that time. And it shows you kind of how things were kind of get, getting <laughs> off the rails there. Mm-hmm. And then they show that exact same footage, and it means something completely different the second yeah. time you see it. Because now you're invested in these characters, and you see all of the stuff that they were going through. Right. And, huh. <laughs> it's it's quite it has a, a different thing like i i believe michael eisner's literally um a couple of weeks after he gave that thank you is when he had his quadruple bypass yeah um you know the 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 heart attack and mm-hmm. that led to that uh this was right also right after the time when when frank wells uh tragically passed away in a helicopter accident in northern nevada um, and then right after that is when that whole uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg exit. So that kind of right. that trifecta of of kind of chaos mm-hmm. uh, kind of derailed that yeah. whole uh, nonstop <laughs> steam locomotive. And of course, in the middle, the beginning of all of that, Howard Ashman oh, had yeah. become such an amazing success. And it was just like a perfect fit 
the songs were just flowing him coming up with the ideas and flipping things on their head basically um as far as how the musicals would come out and things like that how they would mesh together yeah and then he is diagnosed with aids Mm -hmm. hiv and passes away yeah and this the footage that they have of howard ashman in this film really makes me want to see you know the movie howard that's coming out um, because it's a phenomenal uh um kind of a preview of that um but a lot of the the people behind the scenes they were they kind of equated howard ashman as kind of like the second coming of walt disney which is you know that's quite praise uh (laughs) because he wasn't just the lyricist of those three movies, you know, uh, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and, and Aladdin. He, um, Aladdin was kind of his idea. I mean, they, they had the idea to kind of go with that story, but a lot of the story elements, you know, were his. And, right. and also with the kind of how the story developed with The Little Mermaid as well. It was his idea to make the crab. Jamaican. Uh, Jamaican, yeah. Yeah, because he would have these visions of like a complete story which the music and the songs would then flow out of. Yeah. It wasn't just, here's a song, and then we'll move on to the next part of the movie. Exactly. It all was connected. Yeah, he, it, it really was, changed the way. I would say that the whole idea of the animated film being kind of like uh, a, a musical, um, kind of a musical treatment, mm-hmm. or, or the way it <laughs> is now a musical, that was essentially his idea. Yeah. Animation today is what it is because of Howard Ashman. Um, I agree. And so, it, and there's even kind of like a, I think it, they, they showed a segment of this in the film, and there's an, uh, an extended uh, thing of that in one of the um, the deleted scenes, is him kind of going through all of musical theater and tying animation to musical theater and how the songs in animation are just like musical theater, mm-hmm. advancing the story, yes. telling uh, the the story of the characters through song. That it's not just okay. We're now we're going to take a break and sing a song. No, it advanced the story. It yeah. kind of was a character a development. Exactly. So. Don actually said that. On, I keep talking about this call, <laughs> but it really was amazing to hear him speak and answer all these questions. But that was one of the things he said on the call was that um, during the Little Mermaid. 30 seconds before Ariel doesn't know who Ursula is. She's yeah. never even met her before. And then at the end of the song, she's signing her voice away to her and just the song itself advanced the story right. that much. So, yeah. And uh, there's a phenomenal sequence also. Um, I believe it's one of the deleted scenes as well, where he's kind of coaching uh, Jody Benson mm, into yes. singing the, the part of your world song. And it's, I think there's like an extended like six or eight minute sequence of them just kind of going over it together, uh, him coaching her on how she should be uh, singing each thing. Because everything, every direction that he gave was very specific. There was no, um, you know, he, d- he wasn't wishy-washy Yeah, about he it wasn't like, all. just sing it how you feel it. It was and, specific. And seeing that whole process of just the two of them kind of going, you know, he even got to the point, okay, let's let's lower the lights so that you can kind of, because this is the part of your world where she's in her cave, you know, singing about how she just wants to be. Where know, the people are. Where the people are, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just amazing. It gave me goosebumps, and it yeah. really is making me looking forward to uh, this upcoming <laughs> film, Howard. On so. Disney Plus, August 7th. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, but go. 
Um, no, I, I, I think it's just as a Disney fan and, you know, I've spoken to a few people since, um, the call that I had and I was surprised at how many people still haven't seen Waking Sleeping Beauty. So that's oh, part of yeah. why I wanted to do this because hopefully this inspires someone to watch it because if you are a fan, even just a casual fan, um, I think learning the stories behind how these musicals and animation came to be. I mean, this is just one aspect that we're talking about, yeah. but there's so many other things that need to come together. And one of the things that they said uh, throughout the film was that animation at that point was never a moneymaker. It was yeah. just... I mean, because really right around, I'd say the late 50s, you know, Walt's focus was, okay, you know, he kind of was like, okay, animation's doing its thing. We'll let that go. Um, and he, he, he personally action. became interested in live action films, mm -hmm. uh, television, Disneyland, you know, kind of doing the, the city of the future uh, with Epcot Center. So, you know, he, he basically said, okay, we'll let animation do its own thing. You know, of course, with, with people you know, taking over it. And, but, you know, his interest had, had moved on. Yeah. Um, and so, and then right after his death, you know, uh, people just didn't know what to do. And so that's when the animation really took a tumble. Um, and so they were just kind of pushing out film after film that just, you know, wasn't quite there. Yeah. Um, and so it was just amazing that this, it really was a, a, a renaissance um, where they came back with this. And I think, uh, you know, Roy E. Disney certainly didn't want to let that legacy of the company die. So I think it's great that he stepped in and said hey yeah. this needs to happen and keep happening but I think also an important part was that the people the animators that weren't happy with how things were going like the Don Bluths of the oh that's right yeah. the company went off to do their own thing and you know we we got an American tale and Which then Steven Spielberg success, jumped in and did a land before time and all that stuff and, and I think that <laughs> pushed Disney oh, yeah. to say hey wait we don't have to keep doing the same thing we can yeah because do all more. the way up until then Disney dominated animation yeah and now an American Tale I think it was 1986 came out and yes. it was the biggest hit ever and wait that's not a Disney film we're supposed to be on top of this and so that kind of pushed them into exactly. uh, these new things um, and so like um, when Oliver and company came out it it did phenomenal business. I I think um, somewhere in the realm of fifty eight million. This is nineteen eighty eight dollars. So that was kind of unheard of at the mm -hmm. time. And that one what didn't really um, break too many you know like uh, technological. No, I wasn't a fan of the animation style in that. Right. Personally. I mean, it was <laughs> very hand drawn. Um, but then that same year, that's when uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out, which you know that that's where they were blending live action with. Uh, animation mm -hmm. uh, and in combining more than just the Disney cartoons yeah. but you know I a lot of the classic of Warner Brothers cartoons as mm -hmm. well as cartoons from you know everywhere else yeah. um, and it was at, as I said that was just a gigantic hit and that just kind of led into you know then the Little Mermaid that came out in that the following year and just kind of set each the record and then each film did kind of more beyond that with the exception of Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> <laughs> that is odd. I guess, was that like a different team on that one or something? Um, there was, well no they were was there singing in that one? I still haven't there was seen it. No, that. that was not a musical. Yeah, um, That's why. But it had 
phenomenal animation. Just, you know, Glenn Keane kind of took over that, mm. that whole eagle thing, who has very complicated Australian names, so I'm not even going to try to <laughs> remember what that was. Um, but just the footage of the eagle with the boy flying. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that film, and I'm going to get you to see that. Okay, I'll watch it, and we'll do a whole episode on it. Can we? No, I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> I wish we could do one on things that we haven't seen, but you've seen everything, so that would be just stuff yeah, I haven't right. seen, which wouldn't be as much fun. That's okay. Um, one of the other aspects of this film, and it, it, you know, the fact that it, it's not dry at all, is there are no talking heads. Right. Um, Don Hahn made sure, uh, since they kind of were there, they found all of this amazing footage um, of, you know, as I mentioned, Howard Ashman kind of giving that lecture, um, just them in the kind of like the storyboarding rooms, kind of, go, you know, going through storyboards and all of this. And so while people are talking, it's still, you know, showing live action of all of the amazing things happening yeah. uh, in the studios. And so it's... And then there's voiceovers. Yes. As well. So it's not just all old footage. It's commentary. Yes. And any, you're not anytime, like staring at somebody. Anytime well. it shows or you hear a person talking, but you don't see them, it, there's a little bubble that comes up that yeah. shows you uh, who's talking. Exactly. Um, it's very well done. And that's oh, how extreme. Howard is as well. There's no talking heads okay. in that. It's fly on the wall found footage he found a lot of amazing stuff so i'm yeah, sure you're gonna actually i just remembered they uh one of the amazing things that they found sorry <laughs> i get a little excited <laughs> was uh right after they had uh, the executives had changed the name of basilon baker street to the great mouse detective the animators were livid about this because um, they were being controlled by marketing and right. not their creative. And so they, they, one of the animators kind of secretly put forth a memo kind of renaming all of the classics yes. like uh, <laughs> Girl with See-Through Shoes mm -hmm. or Seven Men in a Forest with a Girl or something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, you know, just don't, you know, kind of like stupid re... Memes from the 80s. Exactly. And <laughs> actually what's interesting is that Jeopardy had a category, you know, based on that memo, and they actually found that footage from an old Jeopardy show, where the, where they kind of went through a lot of the uh, titles of animated films, and and they were very happy when they found that footage. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny that um, that they found, well, decided to use that footage. It was a crazy time. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess back at that time, um, you know, nowadays. When an animated film changes a title, you know, nobody hears about it. Nobody cares. Well. Uh, I mean, it doesn't <laughs> make huge news like it did then. I guess. Um, I'm too entrenched in the I Disney guess. community, I guess, to know. But, like, Tangled had quite a few names. That's true. Frozen had quite a few Actually, names. Actually, The Lion King was King of the Jungle at one point. Yeah. Um, I would just say, as, as you mentioned, this, this movie, Waking Sleeping Beauty, is on Disney+. Plus. And it, um, Does it have extras and bonus features yeah, on Disney? Yeah, it's about 87 minutes long. Interestingly, right about the same length as an animated feature. Um, on Disney+, Plus, there are three uh, deleted scenes. I would recommend the DVD or Blu-ray because they have so much more. They, um, they have a total of six deleted scenes on here, four of which are about Howard Ashman. Mm. But there's also a director's commentary, which I listened to with... Um, with Don Hahn, the director, and as also his uh, co-producer, Peter Schneider, um, 
where they, you know, essentially talk about everything that's going on. But in addition, during that director's commentary, they have additional commentary from others that they throw in there Ah. that just kind of didn't make it into the film. So just watching the director's commentary is phenomenal as well. Um, Yeah, I cannot recommend this highly enough. So after you finish listening to this episode or watching, head to Disney Plus or order from Mm -hmm. wherever you get your DVDs. And yeah, watch this yeah, if I you haven't. I thought that everyone would have already had this. Well. Actually, the uh, DVD, actually, I wanted to show this because it comes with this commemorative lithograph of, this was in the film, depicting um, Howard Ashman eviscerating Gary um, Trousdale? Trousdale and Kirk Wise uh, after a especially harsh meeting. That's pretty funny. <laughs> see that's why I love all of these behind yeah, I keep because, saying it but because seeing Kirk, stuff Kirk like this Wise, the guy who's you know kind of charged with crisp he's the one that actually drew this <laughs> <laughs> after a, a, an especially tense meeting with Howard Ashman um, so yeah there I a think lot of fun characters Don Hahn needs to do the definitive Walt Disney biography film well I mean he's already you know he's doing the Howard as well and he just did uh, another documentary about the archives as well for ah, d23 yes so um you know, he's he's kind of like the go-to guy now he's got so um, much going on but yeah. i have been saying for eons that i want an accurate story like saving mr banks was not true to you know what actually happened and that was just one moment right, in, right. and in that's history. certainly not a documentary no but, not um, in any way but i and there's so many like small independent films that have attempted yes. to do the Walt Disney story, um, but I want more, and I yes. want it to be done well. And, and I, I would trust him historically to do, to do accurate. Um, with Walt smoking sorry. and everything, I'm okay with it. Well, I mean, it's it's how <laughs> Walt was. So um, yeah. So again, we urge you if you have not seen it to watch Waking Sleeping Beauty especially before seeing <clears throat> Howard coming out yeah. August 7th. Just uh, to see how these characters were. I mean, just, you know, s- as I mentioned, Michael Eisner, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and Roy E. Disney, just kind of showing all of the, the personalities between all of them. Um, it's it's so fascinating. It really is. And imagine how much more is was on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. So if you have seen this or you watch this after watching our episode or listening to our episode drop us a comment and uh, let us know what your favorite part of the film was and what you learned that you didn't know I learned so much I know I learned a lot too because and I had seen I it before and I you know having watched it again and, and I guess I knew these characters even a little bit more than I had <coughs> last time I'd seen right. it you know I just I learned it so much more I really just want to see it again I cannot see it enough it's it's really great. Heading to our trivia corner before we say goodbye oh, this right. episode, we had someone email us, Ellen D. Yay. At just Ellen, I guess, on Twitter. A lovely person Indeed. who's been listening to our podcast. Our we thank you listeners. from the bottom of our hearts for listening and commenting on Twitter <laughs> and sending in a trivia <laughs> thing. Thank Which you. Which is awesome. Yeah. So 
your question was what I, were yeah, the different lands that the haunted mansion or because haunted mansion they are all in different lands and i i was including the, the phantom manor in disneyland paris yes. as well as mystic manor from hong kong disneyland Correct. all of the haunted mansions and those two other ones are all in different lands. Yes. And so Ellen got them all right. Yeah. I'll the read them all. The original is oh, okay. You, you can right. you know them off the top of your head. So. I do. <laughs> the original haunted mansion in Disneyland is in New Orleans Square, of course, famously. Uh, and then of course Magic Kingdoms is in a very unique land exclusive to Magic Kingdom, Liberty Square. Why don't you take over for me? Oh, the next okay. one is uh, Tokyo Disneyland. Tokyo Disneyland is in Fantasyland. Fantasyland. Crazy. What's funny about that is is funny. Um, I remember being in line for Dumbo, the flying elephants, there, and literally, right next door, is the Haunted Mansion. Wow. Yeah. I'm still very. N- I have not researched a lot of Tokyo Disneyland. Like things have come across, you know, my vision, but. So I'm really, I don't know much about it. So Good. I had no idea. And then, of course, next is Disneyland Paris. And where can that be found? The Phantom Manor. That's in Frontierland. Wait, what? Yeah. Again. That I know about because yeah. Sophia went there. Yeah, that's right across the street from Big Thunder Mountain. And then, of course, the new one, Mystic Manor in yeah. Hong Kong Disneyland yes. can be found. At Mystic Point. Yeah, that's right. One of their uh, three new lands that they had built there. I don't know what else is at Mystic Point. Not but I'll much. find out when I go. Not much. Okay. Some photo opportunities <laughs> and uh, the train goes by there. Hmm, that's fun. <laughs> so do you have thank you again to Ellen for writing in. Your prize is a job well done. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we'll have prizes in the future perhaps. But I do have a trivia question. Do you? Yes. Let's hear it. Okay. Uh, from the movie Waking Sleeping Beauty, as we've mentioned um it, it features the the songwriting and you know duo of Howard Ashman and Alan Macon. And as we all know, Alan Macon, I believe, we didn't is even now talk about him this whole episode. Oh, That's know. crazy. <laughs> He's um, great. We love him. He, he is phenomenal. <laughs> um, but he was uh, Howard's musical partner, um, and he himself has won a total of eight Academy Awards. Um, but how many has, has Howard Ashman won? Because it's not the same amount. Mm-hmm. And what were they for? That's a great question. Yeah. While you think of that, I forgot one thing I wanted to mention. Because Why? this, our perfect storm of promoting Don Hahn and Howard Ashman and now Alan Menken, the Walt Disney Family Museum... <gasps> Is doing a virtual fundraiser. Oh my gosh, they're they're awesome, by the way. They are, and they're presenting an evening with Alan Menken Thursday, which is tomorrow, August sixth, at five p.m. Pacific. There's Yay. very you can just register online. Go to um, the Walt Disney Family Museum. Having seen this a couple of times at the various D twenty three expos, I can tell you, this is great. And is. he does not do it very often. <laughs> no. Um, and you I know, have some video. Perhaps I'll link to one of the expos when he did. And he just goes through all of, you know, not not even just the hits, but basically all of the yes. other. <laughs> With some backstory oh, yeah. and commentary, which is just great. And, you know, and people. 
Yes. Right. And people nowadays in the, I don't know what kind of audience they're going to have, but if you're ever there for Expo, they go crazy when he does things like from Hunchback or whatever. And oh, he's yeah. like, where were you when the movie came out? Or like Newsies. Or Newsies. <laughs> yeah. I was there. You were there. You were the <laughs> original Newsies stan. <laughs> Saw it three times in the theater. Um, I will link release. to this. Oh, I was going to say, because like, uh, for example, they do like part of, um, what was I was getting that mixed with with part of your world but no I meant proud of your boy oh, from Aladdin yes. which was you know that was the the song that Howard Ashman had written f- um, as part of the treatment for Aladdin before he had even ever worked on Beauty and the Beast which was actually released before Aladdin yes um, and they were so heartbroken that that uh, song was taken out in fact that's actually what that image was for when they suggested uh. to him that that song be taken wow. out I think that actually might be something different, but I do remember the story of how he really Howard really wanted that. Yeah, in there. and they just couldn't make it work. Um, but the fact, you know, that's definitely going to be one that Alan Macon he always uh, makes sure to sing that one. Well, guess who else is going to be joining him on this night? Um, me? No, <laughs> Lin Manuel Miranda. Wait, what? That's awesome. That's like a twofer. <laughs> um, but as I mentioned, it is a fundraiser, but there's also a free. Uh, ticket that you can okay. get if you are not in a position to donate at this moment That's in time. That's so cool because he's done quite a lot of music yeah. for Mary Poppins Returns. Exactly. And, It'll be interesting um, to see what uh, Hamilton, of course, and, and also um, Moana. 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 So, yeah, we've seen Alan Menken so many times. It'll be interesting to see Lynn Manuel yeah. added in. Um, I will have a link to this on the accompanying blog post to go with the show so you can check it out and register if you have not already just wanted to mention that because it kind of tied into what we were discussing Um, but again thank you for joining us up the waterfall and we hope you learned something new Uh, additionally another reminder our live show is officially starting (laughs) Um, as I mentioned it was supposed to be this Monday, this past Monday, but we just got back from vacation. Literally, we had to before, record so. this podcast. We were kind of, you know, a little crazy getting back to normal. School's about to start again here in Florida. It's crazy time. However, Monday, August tenth at seven p.m. Eastern time will be our first ever live show, and we're gonna do it like every Monday, right? Every Monday. So um, even if you've, you're listening to this after that. That's Just true. Mondays. Just wait for Monday and we'll be there. Mondays at what time again? 7 p.m. Eastern. Eastern time, yes. Yes. And it will be on um, the Xanaland Facebook page because that's the easiest uh, yes. way to broadcast that's to everyone. Facebook.com slash Xanaland. Correct. So make Yay. sure you are you have liked the page and are following so you get a notification when mm-hmm. we go live. Uh, we will certainly send out our little announcement yeah closer in as well but we hope everyone will join us it's going to be we'll have some fun i think a little more casual uh we're going to discuss trending topics versus historical topics and you know a little bit of news a little bit of fun we'll do some bag yes Uh, a grab bag a goodie bag i love those as a child (laughs) anyway we hope you join us we thank you for listening as always and thank you for joining us check out waking sleeping beauty if you haven't drop us a comment like subscribe rate us all of those wonderful things to keep us going uh thank you again for listening and joining us up the waterfall that's right anything's possible at disneyland
we're not doing a Disneyland episode. I know, but it's <laughs> it's the following line. Okay. 